For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Walk the dogs, school drop-off, meetings from 10 to 3, take kids to soccer, then no time left for a jog. When everyone else is relying on you, it's easy to put your needs last. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist online, so you can show up for yourself the way you do for others. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. This is your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and I'm joined by the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. How you doing, mate? Hello. Very well, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I saw a, an eight-goal thriller at Craven Cottage last Ooh. yesterday, so uh, very excited. Got to see Dean. Everyone had a good time. Yeah. Um, especially especially Dylan, Dean. It was, Dylan was having a lovely time and seems like a fair point to introduce our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. <laughs> yeah, he did have a lovely time. I think that was his favourite game so far. No surprise, really. He saw eight goals. He woke up this morning. He goes, Dad, 
I didn't even do a dream, but we actually saw eight goals, didn't we, at Fulham yesterday? Like, <laughs> yeah, we did, mate. We did. He was so happy. Like, yeah, if you're thinking about having kids, then um, I've finally got a reason. It's good taking them to football. <laughs> <laughs> that was the nice bit. No, We're gonna talk He's about excited the to see you, isn't he? He's always excited to see you, too. Yeah, I got a nice hug. You do so always get a nice a, hug. He's very polite and nice when he's not on his phone as well. He's got my old phone and he <laughs> plays these games on it and like getting him to look up these days is becoming a bit of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> the kids, the youth of today, as yeah. they say, the youth of today. We're going to talk about the Premier League in a little while, um, but we're very full of goals after yesterday and absolute madness uh, across the division. But I think Things We Love is going to start this week by talking about some trophies that have been won in the past sort of five days. The last time we recorded, Napoli were on the brink of becoming Scudetto champions, Serie A champions. They have achieved that feat. They won the league in Udinese, or in at Udinese, in Udine, yeah. on Thursday evening. And there were some pretty unbelievable scenes across Naples and beyond. And to be honest, unbelievable scenes around the world. And I think maybe my favorite bit of all of it, there was there was incredible scenes at the Maradona, Ossiemen's goal sent the place into absolute raptures. And the, the videos coming out of it, flares going off. There was, you know, the Maradona was full to watch a screening of the game and flares going off in the stands to watch the TV, really quite something. Mm. Um, but the scenes and the pictures of, of Naples lighting up the moment mm. that everything goes off, the moment that that title is won. And the scenes around the world, I think, were, were absolutely incredible. You're seeing you know, parties in, in Rome, in New York, in London, where all of these things are coming together. And, and just a magical evening for everyone associated with Napoli. They have waited a long, long time to be back, crowned as champions of Italy. And it all felt like the catharsis and especially the way that Napoli kind of stumbled a little bit towards the line. You're like, oh, they were never going to make this easy, were they? No. But it's over the line. It's done. And Napoli yeah. are champions once again. Mm. 33 years. That is a long time. That's a long wait. Um, what was it the third time? They've I'm 33. Won? Yeah, there you go. I was just trying to think if one of you is 33. There you go. So Sam's waited his entire lifetime, literally for that moment. Uh, and there it was. Was it worth the wait, mate? Was it worth the wait? <laughs> Um, it looked like it, was it was a great like, day yeah. for it was a great day for the football picks that go hard Twitter account wasn't it ultimately that's <laughs> that's probably how I'd put it those pictures of Aussie men walking out to fireworks and things like that just absolutely incredible some of the best visuals I've seen in some time yeah absolutely my, absolutely. Um, my favorite well, I don't know whether this is like some sort of tradition I've missed but like when Aussie men scored the equalizer did you see like they took the ball off the pitch and put it into a bag what is that I've seen it's the thing they do in Serie A and I think they do it in Liga as well where you can like bid for the ball via like every ball that sponsors. a goal scored with or just important goals I couldn't well, gauge normally this. it's the first goal of a game oh. but I think in this regard they were like that might well be the the ball that wins Napoli the title. Yeah. So therefore, they they like a lit, they've got these really cool bags, haven't they? Like they're they're ready made. Like they, I was like, they made such a big deal about shoving it going in, and I was like, someone's going to steal that. That's worth so much money. <laughs> um, but hopefully, it's all under wraps, and uh, I presumed it's for charity or something, yeah, or just for the the club museum now, maybe because, yeah, that. That was the goal that, that sealed it for them, wasn't it? But that was, that was quite cool to see that. Yeah, very enjoyable. Very enjoyable. I mean, Sam, 
there's been there was a lot of kind of thoughts around Napoli this season and the fact that so many of the old guard left last summer. It really has been a remarkable job for Luciano Spalletti and his team in terms of turning that around, turning those negatives, if you will, of the departures of Koulibaly and, and Insignia and Mertens into massive positives. And what they've put together this season, just stunning in so many ways. And, and, and with a group of players that, you know, not all of whom were particularly highly heralded, let's say, at the start of this season. No, not at all. Um, they lost, you know, four or five key figures. We've talked about this a lot, but we can we can run it out one more time to sort of crown them. You know, they, they lost really important players over the, the the current era or the previous era, I guess you could say now of of Napoli and you know, Lorenzo Insigne and Koulibaly and players like that and Fabian Ruiz, and they replaced them with players that on paper were just not as good, just not as good. And despite that, they've not only improved and won the title at a relative canter accepting that slight stumble over the last three weeks or so, but we knew it was done. They've played the best football in Serie A by some distance. They've been the best team and they've played the best football. And they're going to hit over 90 points and they're going to win the title by a massive margin. Like, absolutely incredible. I remember sitting with you, Jack, and thinking at the time Napoli appointed Spalletti that, well, he's a good manager and no one would ever deny that. His um, fiery, volatile nature was perhaps an interesting fit for the city of Naples, I think, if we were to put it politely. And um, it turns out it was exactly the right fit, wasn't it? I'm not sure that we were convinced that his temperament was right for the team or the city, but it's been a match made in heaven. And even if they, you know, drop a level and fall away a little bit next year, next season... It just doesn't matter. It, it was all about getting this title, all about ending this weight. Absolutely amazing stuff. Imagine Diego was having a, a good old time looking down on this one, uh, enjoying himself. There's that song, isn't there? Messy in heaven. That's exactly how I would imagine that things have gone uh, in the last couple of uh, days for Diego and, and the crew up there. But if you are looking at this, Spalletti last season had his car stolen by Napoli Ultras, who basically sent him a message saying, we will give you your car back when you leave the club. Those people must be feeling pretty silly right now. Yeah. Did he get his car or is he, is he, is he still waiting? Know, he probably got a new car now. They probably <laughs> give him a new car. Like, Sorry about that, my dude. Here's a, here's a mm. well nice mower. Mm. Yeah. Might miss the target on that one, eh? Not sure. yeah, I just <laughs> slightly, slightly missed it. I mean, it's something that's been talked about a lot, but yeah. I thought it was really interesting. And, and I, I think you're right, Sam, in, in terms of not only have they played the best football in Serie A, I think when they were in full flow, there's an argument that Napoli were playing the best football in Europe this season. It was absolutely scintillating stuff when, when they found that rhythm, when they found that flow. And yes, it's been a little bit more stagnant, I think, on the, in the second half of this season. But you expect that when a team come out of the blocks that hot. Um, there has to be some sort of drop-off because no one can maintain that kind of pace for a whole season. So major congratulations to Napoli. They have been a delight this mm. season. And as I said once before, and I'll say once more, the Greeks said that the gods dwell on Mount Olympus. But in football terms, deities now dwell once again at the foot of Mount Vesuvius. It feels like a true moment for the city for the region, I think, as well, and for this club that has so often been the bastion of heartbreak in 
in Italian football, in, in European football. It just felt like Napoli have been the perennial bridesmaids. So for them to finally get their moment back in the sun after 33 years felt like an incredible moment. And I imagine Naples is going to be partying long into the summer. And to be honest, probably until someone is crowned scrap champions next season, mm. just until like one more, <laughs> one more people do it, you know, until there's officially a new champion, we're champions and that's yeah. fine. And, and uh, that should be enjoyed in its full capacity, I think. Yeah. In Naples. It wasn't the only trophy. That was one this weekend, though, Dean, because Real Madrid won the Copa del Rey. And to be honest, it's not quite the same level of weight. It's been nine years since Real Madrid won the Copa. Hmm. And it felt like the final piece of the puzzle for a lot of these players. The last thing, someone like a Rodrigo or a Vinicius Jr. has not won at the club. Uh, and it completed quite a remarkable journey for Real Madrid in that they've won every trophy available to them in just under 500 days. So it's not a sextuple because to do that, you have to have won every trophy in the same season. I believe that only Barcelona and Bayern Munich have achieved that feat uh, in European football. But they have won, I think what they're calling a sexteta, which is basically these six trophies and in 475 days. Yeah. Uh, That's pretty stunning. Yeah, especially for Camavinga. He is 20 years old. (laughs) <laughs> and he's just won all six trophies. That's absolutely ridiculous. Like, what? Oh, he's won the Champions League, UEFA Super Cup, Club World Cup, Su- a Spanish Super Cup, Copa del Rey and La Liga. There you go. I'm only 20. What should I do next? Right, next career. Going, just go and play a different sport. This Back is why you joined Real Madrid. Hockey. This is exactly this is why you joined Real Madrid. We're doing a transfer episode today. We're obviously going to be talking about Real Madrid on this show and and like the Bellingham situation and stuff like that. But yeah, basically Real Madrid are a very easy sell. They walk into a meeting. They're like, do you like trophies? This is what we've won (laughs) in the last year. (laughs) Ridiculous, isn't it? Well, and amazing, some amazing goals as well. Uh, The Trevella assist from Vinicius Jr. Just, yeah, I mean, Vinicius just ripped him apart. He just ripped him apart. Like. And Rodrigo turned up again. In a big game, Rodrigo turned up again to be the guy. Yeah, he scores the goals that matter. Like, this is, this is what they do. Like, Vinny turns on big game performances and, and is the difference maker and carves the defences apart and Rodrigo's there to finish off the bits and pieces. So, like, it, it's it's ideal. Like, obviously, um, we're talking about this and Real Madrid have just played Man City, so um, we won't go into how that's gone. But... Um, yeah, we've we've talked a lot this season about how Madrid aren't as good an all-round package as they have been in past years, but they've still got that that winning mentality. And yeah, those two epitomise it at the moment. Yeah, Sam, they've been you know remarkable in terms of what we've seen under Ancelotti. Yes, the league has fallen away at quite a canter this season, but. What he's done since returning to Real Madrid has been very, very special. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's been it's been really good. I mean, what I will say is that I thought they were a bit sloppy in this final. Um, I don't know if you I don't know if you've got uh, anything yeah. to contest me on that, but I I thought they were a bit sloppy in midfield in the final third. I thought they gave a lot of balls away. I thought they were very indecisive, in, very inefficient. And one part of me wants to go. Well, they're lucky it was only Osasuna, in air yeah. quotes. But then the other part of me goes, no, but Sam, Real Madrid played exactly as well as they needed to to win the trophy and no better. They did yeah. exactly what they needed to do. And then they were like, okay, 
huge game Tuesday night. And that's kind of what they do, isn't it? The way they're able to switch gears when they need to and then dial it back down and then refocus to a different tournament, a different competition, a different level of opponent. It's remarkable. And I think that that gene, that that skill, whatever it is, that's Carlo. That's Carlo Ancelotti right there. And that's what he's able to get from his group of players. And the Rodrigo resurgence, resurgence? Surge, I guess, because mm-hmm. this is the most he's ever played. It's not like he's coming back from a situation. He's getting more and more trust. Um, he started a lot of games recently. He's really starting to give Carlo Ancelotti these headaches that he, you know, all managers say they love, but they don't. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, as, as headaches go, it's a good one to have. Do I play Valverde or Rodrigo on the right-hand mm. side of my attacking three? It's going to be very interesting. You know, By the time you listen to this, Real Madrid will have played Manchester City. It's going to be very interesting to kind of work out how things are, are going to go and how they're going to do that. So uh, lots to be excited about there. A couple more things from this weekend in terms of trophy lifts. Uh, we saw one in the championship that people weren't particularly pleased with. It's the second place trophy that's given out in the championship, which was handed to Sheffield United. And a lot of people were going absolutely mad about this, saying you couldn't, shouldn't get a trophy for second, it's unfair. Um, but you get a trophy for winning the playoffs. So it feels a bit unfair if you if you get one for first and third, but not for second. Yeah. Yeah, you just have a trophy. I, actually don't, I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah, nor because, do I. Because... Obviously, it doesn't make sense for third place to get a trophy when second place doesn't. But if you win the playoff final, it does make sense to get a trophy. So I don't know where I stand on this one. I think I don't I think I don't like it. I don't like second place trophy. Dean? As strange as it sounds. You've got to have something to celebrate with. It's only it's only really just like something to wave in front of your fans to to show you've done something. Um, yeah. Otherwise, all you got is one of those silly little flags that they give you. That's we are enough. going up. Yeah, that's great times. You need, you need Everyone's enjoying those. Why have your little pot around? Yeah, everyone. No, they seem to enjoy a Bramble Lane, but um, just generally, yeah. I think it's it's quite an interesting one. Um, and then there were two more I want to talk about: Celtic clinch back-to-back Scottish Premiership titles under Ange Postecoglou. Uh, a remarkable achievement for him as well when he came in and we spoke about this on, on Monday's Patreon episode. So I'm only going to touch on it briefly, but when he came in, there were a lot of people saying sacked by Christmas and Postacoglu has redefined Scottish football in the two years that he has been there, or at least redefined uh, the power balance in the old firm. It very much is all coming up Celtic right now. And he's done an absolutely incredible job Ange, and then deserves all the credit in the world. Uh, and the other thing, and uh, I know Sam was in- incredibly adamant that I talked about this. Uh, it was that the Yarrawa Red Diamonds uh, won the Asian Champions League. So that's good. Yeah, Congrats. Stuff. Well done to them. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jack was saying that we should start the podcast by talking about trophies won. And I just politely pointed out that the Asian Champions League had been won this weekend. I thought that was fair. Um, yep. Over two legs, they beat Al-Hilal. Um the game we sometimes play as football fans is we go and have a look at like say for example Al Hilal's squad and look at it and look at all the players that we recognise from three to four years ago and Jack it was Andre Carrillo Peruvian winger who settled the game but not in the way that he would have intended no he scored an own goal so uh, it meant that Rawa won, it's the 2022-23 Champions League title in Asia. Uh, they've won it twice before 
in 2007, 2008, and 2017, 18, I believe. So uh, congratulations to them on their uh, third Asian Champions League title. Fantastic stuff. Um, the Real Madrid great, of Asia. They'll be, they'll be dancing in the streets of Red Diamonds tonight. <laughs> right, and on that, I think it's probably time that we move on to our main segment. We're going to be talking some big transfers for this summer and giving our take on where certain players in demand should be headed after the break. So stick with Walk the dogs, school drop-off, meetings from 10 to 3, take kids to soccer, then no time left for a jog. When everyone else is relying on you, it's easy to put your needs last. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist online, so you can show up for yourself the way you do for others. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. Welcome back to Rags FC, where it's time for our main segment. We are entering silly season and on a Champions League week. So we thought it was time to look at some big name transfers, potentially players on the move this summer. So Dean Jones, I'm going to give you the floor and you're going to set us up for what should be a little bit of fun. Yeah, it's going to be a nice little chat. Uh, lads, I think we'll enjoy this. Uh, let's dig into five uh, big ones that um, are on the cards or at least going to be big talking points. And they really are big names. So it's going to be fun to to talk about some of these players that we don't usually get to cover all in the same show. And I'm just going to start with Messi, to be honest, because um, why not? Um, it's If Messi moves, it's always the biggest transfer. Um, that doesn't matter in terms of where he actually goes. It's one of the greatest players to ever play the game. And we all thought, hoped he would spend his whole career at Barcelona. Well, he's at PSG. It's not gone great. It's got a little bit better. But just as it was seeming like it was getting better, he's off. Um, Messi's going to be leaving PSG on a free transfer this summer. Um, and of course, there's been a lot of talk about the potential of him getting back to Barcelona. There's been talk too of maybe he goes to MLS, into Miami, been long linked. But... There's a little plot twist because obviously he was suspended by, by PSG recently for his little trip to Saudi Arabia. And um, yeah, Saudi Arabia have got a nice little proposal for him in the shape of 400 million euros a year. Um, you could buy like a Boeing 777 for that. He could buy his <laughs> own passenger plane. Like this sure he is... needs one. He might as well. He doesn't need anything, I don't think. So, like, he might as well buy one. Um, imagine just putting it aside every month. Right, there's my plane money. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, it's a bit sad, but it's looking kind of likely. Um, now, it's a difficult story to gauge because a lot of people have been um, had mixed ideas on it that I've spoken to. Some say. No, there's no final decision on this yet. Just wait. Like he he wants to see if Barcelona can actually open anything up so that he can get back there. And like he's, you know, there's been an open policy I think with Xavi for a lot of the season about the fact that Xavi would love to have him back there if he can get in there, um, but just completely unable to promise anything. Hmm. But Messi has to make a decision at some point, and yeah, it's looking. Like, well, one, the Saudi Arabia offer is real, which at the moment there aren't any real offers on the table for him. So he has to consider it. And two, 
that is more than anyone has ever earned in football ever, um, including Ronaldo, who's there at the moment. So, yeah, he, he, he obviously got to consider that. I don't like it, lads. Like, I haven't watched any of Ronaldo when he's been no. in Saudi Arabia because I find it unwatchable. I find it, it tough. I can't gauge what he's actually doing. I mean, he's got a good scoring rate while he's been out there. It's also Score. very difficult to watch. It's like, also it's difficult to available. watch. Yeah, it's it's pretty much unavailable. I mean, I don't know if that would be the case if, if Messi got there as well. Um, they're, they're, they're broadcasting it here in the UK. Sky Sports has started streaming it on YouTube in the UK. Oh, okay. Uh, so you can, you can watch it if you want to go on there. But I, I've not yet seen it on television. No, none of it. None of it. Which didn't think would be the case. I thought they would really be pushed on us to be watching Ronaldo in this league. And it's not. Mm. I'll be honest, Ronaldo doesn't seem like he's having a great time, does he? Every time. There's a lot of rumours of him leaving. And I wonder if, you know, and I I don't necessarily mean this in a negative capacity. If it's like that being out of the spotlight is kind of not what he's been used to for so long. And people aren't talking about him. And, you know, it's not, oh, wow, it's it's gone perfectly either. It's not like he's fired, you know, Almasa to to the title or it's not like things no. are going perfectly in that regard. And, and that makes it even more, I'd imagine, complex in where he's kind of at in terms of his teammates, I'd imagine, for one. But two, in terms of also dealing with the fact that it's no longer, you know, the main talking points. The, the world moved on very quickly. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, lads, lads, I've got to be honest. Uh, I've I've had to think about this, and I just I just aside from a potential Barcelona reunion or or maybe something in Europe, maybe, but it's hard to find a good fit for him. I don't think I'm gonna like what Messi does. Like whatever it is that he does, I just don't think there's going to be a conclusion that I that I find palatable because he's still one of the world's best players, and it seems very likely that whatever step he takes next he is going to drop down several playing levels to a degree that really is is well beneath him. Um, you know, whether that's, you know, the Middle East or whether that's MLS or whether that's that kind of romanticised, long-fancied return to Newell's old boys. I could Argentina. do that, like, though. Wh- wh- whatever it is, I will not be happy. It's no, just, I could do it's that. It's just the way it's going to be. Na- the narrative of him returning to Newell's to see out the end of his career at the place that gave him his first start in a stadium named after Marcelo Bielsa. <laughs> the, the yes is yes for me, obviously. Yeah. I think the, the romance of that. Basically, you do have to remember that he has basically completed football now. That World Cup win is mm. the end of it, right? That's That was the last thing on the bucket list, I think. If, you're, if, if Lionel Messi had a list right at the start of what he wanted to achieve in world football, you'd imagine he's now achieved it all. Like it's done, yeah. it's finished. Yeah, it's so going back to Newell's now and, and, and doing that, I think would be amazing. There's obviously the kind of underlying question mark over that about what happened back in March when there was the supermarket that was fired upon uh, and then there was the piece of paper that was left for him in Rosario that said Messi we are waiting for you the mayor is a drug dealer he will not keep you safe so whether that's a threat or whether that is a we want to change the system etc etc the fact is that this supermarket was owned by uh, the father of Messi's wife, Antonella Racuso. So there's a lot going on here. And, you know, his father-in-law's shops are being ridden with bullets. There are underlying issues that no one is quite sure what they all mean. And so that romanticized fantasy of him going back to Rosario right now, I think is going to be a struggle. But I do want to see that before he retires. Yeah. I mean, look, all we can say right now is like, 
in Saudi Arabia, like Al Hilal are supremely confident that this is done. So like while we are throwing up these other ideas, like the news as of right now is that like it's being reported as a done deal, basically. I mean, Fabrizio Romano isn't saying that to be fair, but like other sources are AFP put out a report this morning with Saudi sources and AFP is a reputable news agency who they don't speculate too much, but they've got on the record and said, you know, people are saying this is a done deal. And obviously Messi's uh, wife has, has had reservations about this and that's been reported quite heavily too. They've got three young children. She didn't seem that keen on the idea of moving to the Middle East. I mean, well, there yeah. is also the the thing about the children. Right? This has been this has been released. They've been re-enrolled into a school in Barcelona. So whether the family are all going to... It's a long commute, Jack. That is a long well, commute bus. Well, he does have his own plane now, so that's good. <laughs> that is like, yeah, but if I get this move, I can buy the plane that flies them there each day. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's where we're at. Messi, you know, he's 35, so he's going there, like, younger than Ronaldo. Um Obviously, like there's the potential here that these two are playing against each other next season. Um, those two, Al Hilal and Nasir, are, are rivals, I guess, in that league. Um, well, Al Hilal also uh, will want to avenge their loss to the Urara Red Diamonds in the uh, in the final of the Asian Champions League. Well, that would have been so a key selling point. That, in mind, that yeah. was a key selling point in this move. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, I had to open Messi, lads. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's mad. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, like. When you start hearing about Messi moving, he's only 35. You think, Premier League? Do you want to come, mate? Come and do a year. Just give us one year of Messi over Where? here. Newcastle got loads of money. Man City, you got Pep, Pep Guardiola's over here, mate. Like, just come on. Just give us one year. It's never going to happen. We're never, ever going to see Messi It was then or nothing the two years ago when it nearly went to City. That was, that was the... Yeah. That was the mo- make yeah. or break moment. They would have done but, it. They would have done I, it. I, I do think Barcelona will be moving mountains. To, to try and get this done. We've heard about Xavi trying Moving to, players, thinking, you mean. Literally well, shifting exactly. players off by the day. Thinking about yes. playing him in a in a slightly different role, we've seen. That's been something discussed. Him in kind of a maybe the Gavi-esque role on the other side of this midfield as that fourth midfielder who's allowed to just kind of create and be a playmaker. It's be very interesting to see if that does go through how Messi will fit into Xavi's tactical setup. But... I think there's a lot. There's a long way to go on this yet. Much as done deals are reported, I, I yeah. do. I do think there's a long way to go yet. Yeah, we'll see. We will see. Right, let's move on to the second big transfer story, and this one is well, it looks like it might be tied up. A lot of people talking about this one last week. Jude Bellingham to Real Madrid. Real Madrid won Man City nil on the transfer front. We don't know how the Champions <laughs> League game's gone, but um, yeah, Madrid looked like they've 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 nipped in here. And got an early winner. Um, so shouldn't it be winner gets Bellingham? Really? Absolutely. This is what it should have been. <laughs> like as soon as that draw was made, it's like right, Jude Bellingham sits in the stand. Whoever wins this game gets him for next season. You're both willing to play him absolutely ridiculous money. It's all fine. He can't go too far wrong at either of these clubs. But it sounds like you know Madrid's sweet talking really has worked. Um, they've been chasing him for a lot of this season. Um, the two guys that are kind of being credited with the glory of clinching the deal, if you like, are um, the chief scout. I'm not going to do his name any justice here. Huni Calafat, um, probably not how you say it, um, but also managing director Jose Angel Sanchez, who both have been in talks with 
Bellingham and and interestingly like the the moment that it looks like there was a breakthrough was in March and it was actually in London that, that they managed to have the talks obviously Dortmund uh were in London for a Champions League match and it sounds like that was the conversation that really swayed things in Madrid's favor I mean I had heard for a while that if you were going to have a leader in this race then it was always Madrid that had the edge you know, a lot of people talked up Liverpool and I, I was just never hearing. It's always a bit unnerving when you're hearing different things to what's being reported um, because you've really got to trust people or just not go too hard on it. It depends which way you want to go. Um, I kept being like, I'm not really hearing this Liverpool stuff, but we'll go along with it for a bit. Anyway, Liverpool in the end just can't really compete. I mean, there's, I think the belief is that Bellingham's going to be earning in the region of £400,000 a week, which would rule Liverpool out, to be fair, so they couldn't even get involved in that conversation. Um, and yeah, I think Man City would very much have liked Bellingham. I don't think it was like everything to them. I think that there are there are other fits that are potentially even better for Man City in the current system. Bellingham, they'd have had to adapt things to to fit him into that team. Still would have been a good signing, obviously. But Real Madrid, we've talked obviously about earlier in the show about Camavinga. He's won all six club trophies at the age of 20 uh, since landing at the club. And that's it, isn't it? I mean, that's what Bellingham's signing up for. Um, the chances are he might even have Haaland with him before too long. I mean, I thought he might have gone with his mate to Man City and they might have gone to Spain together in a couple of years. But, you know, Madrid really are getting to the point where they need to find that Benzema replacement and they are on the lookout. The Luka Jovic idea didn't quite go to plan. Um, so they're back in the market for that. I don't know when Haaland's going to leave Man City. Obviously, they want him to sign an extension and year one has gone pretty well for him. <laughs> so he might not yeah, be done okay, hasn't he? Yeah, it's done all right, hasn't he? He's settled in quite well. Um but yeah, Jude Bellingham, lads. Um, how do you think you'll fit? I mean, Sam, I'll, I'll ask you first. Like, what what do you think of Bellingham taking the decision to go to M- Madrid? Because Modric too has just extended his, his deal, hasn't he, at Real Madrid? So that's interesting. Yeah, he's about to. I mean, listen. First of all, on on Calafat, the scout, um, he seems to be like a bit of a superhero for Real Madrid, doesn't he? Like they sort of deploy mm-hmm. him when they need to convince someone to sign for them. And I remember him him getting his his flowers when they convinced Vinicius and Rodrigo to sign for them in the space of 12 months. They sent Calafat out to talk to the family, to, to set the scene, to sort of convince them that Real Madrid were going to be, you know, the right destination for them. And he was like on the ground there in Brazil, working with the family and the teenagers at the time and making sure that they picked Real Madrid. So like, like it doesn't take a it doesn't take a genius to realize that Bellingham is a very good footballer. That's not why we're giving him the credit, but he does seem to have the ability to convince players to choose Real Madrid over anybody else. Whatever he says, it, it really works. Yeah. Um. And for for Bellingham at, at Real Madrid, like I, honestly, like obviously he's an amazing footballer. Um. But I'll stay on brand and say that really all I wanted from Bellingham's next move would be for him to go somewhere where he was slightly less important to his team. Thank you. I was just about to bring this up. (laughs) Which sounds really silly, but like, you know, I'm worried about how many minutes he's played. He's, he's, you know, he's crucial. He has to play every minute for England and Dortmund. And I don't like the start of the strapping on his thigh. And I don't like it when he limps out of tackles and stuff like that. And like, he's, he shouldn't be playing this much. So Real Madrid, like, yeah, let's go and like rotate with Luka Modric and, and have like a year of what is like half tuition, half playing, like the Shuameni year. Perfect. 
absolutely amazing. I, I love this idea. And it would have worked for City as well. I'd have been happy yeah. with either of those two. Like just just deprioritize him ever so slightly and just and just have him maybe finish that footballing education that he never actually got the opportunity to study for because he was already so important that he just got thrown in. So at Madrid, I mean, what a wonderful number eight. Will fit really well into the 4-3-3, can do loads of stuff and um, can get a little bit of a rest here and there. <laughs> Might add a couple of years on the end of his career. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, this was it. And, you know, I remember you tweeting this, I think, back in March, Sam. You were having discussion with, with Luke on, on Twitter about the fact that he's played, what, like nearly 200, I think it's over 200 games now as a 19-year-old. Uh, and you're looking at, you know, players here who've, who've done the same. It's like it Pedri, like, Saka, those guys, yeah. They're all same. Ne- Neymar, has, Neymar was a little bit of this, and Neymar actually fully has i think tailed off a wee bit in terms of injuries obviously and 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 then struggled with injuries later in his career you look at wayne rooney who was someone that started not quite this many but definitely some who also had to sort of change gears later on in his career i think Rooney adapted well to kind of the latter elements of his career but it burned out faster i think than than many people had hoped for that's not to say that you know he didn't achieve tremendous success and the same could be said for neymar um but it does mean that you just start to worry a little bit about how much players are being used. And especially, I think, as the game gets more and more intense. You know, mm-hmm. the Bundesliga is an incredibly intense league, and maybe this is the final part of that puzzle. La Liga is less so. Uh, it is less intense than the Bundesliga and less intense than the Premier League. And again, that's not a criticism. It's just a slight tactical nuance in terms of the way that the game is played. It doesn't make it better or worse. It's just different. Uh, and actually, a little slowdown in tempo might be something that Bellingham just gets a, a little bit of a breather in. And so this is it. He, I, I, I would have liked the idea of Bellingham at Liverpool in terms of how he'd fit, in terms of that side, in terms of working under Jurgen Klopp. But he would immediately become probably the most important player in that side, definitely the most important player in that midfield. And suddenly he's back in playing 50, 50 games a season again. And that's concerning, I suppose, uh, if, if we're looking at you know, how, much, how much game time and how many minutes Bellingham is getting. So Real Madrid seems to be the fit, I think, that probably works best. Yeah, it seems like that's the way that one's heading. So that is uh, a very interesting one. Right, you can choose next one. Do you want a midfielder or do you want a forward? Mm, forward. Yeah, forward. Okay. What's the bigger name? So that's fine. It's Harry Kane. Um Oh, lads, this is a confusing one. This is going to ruin my summer, I think. Here again, are we? Here again. Oh, wow. Every year, (laughs) you think it must be the end. So, (laughs) let's set the scene. Harry Kane, one year left on his contract. Tottenham are reluctant to let him go. Harry Kane turns 30 this summer. Um, He's at a key moment in his career. He still hasn't won that club trophy. He's still waiting for that. Um, But... You know, at a time I mean, when they won the Audi Cup. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, at a time when he wants, you know, really understand where this club's heading. Well, they haven't got a manager. They haven't got a director of football. Um, they haven't really got any football philosophy at the moment. And it's another summer of complete uncertainty under Daniel Levy as he tries to to fix things and convince someone and everyone actually to 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 get on board with whatever his vision is now. Big problem, obviously, in recruiting a new coach is persuading them that Harry Kane's actually going to be there or that he's not, and they will have X amount of money to go and spend on a new striker. Like, that is 
a major problem. Of course, and attached to that is this issue with the director of football. Like, who is that manager actually going to be working with and under? And what's their scope going to be in this job? It's very difficult. And then that flips and it gets deeper and he gets into a conversation with Harry Kane at the end of the season. He's like, right, what's happening? They're like, oh, I don't know yet, mate. We haven't got the director of football or the manager. Well, it's just nonsense. Like, it's just nonsense. How can you sign on for that? How can you get on board? So he can't sign any new contracts because you've got literally no idea what you're signing up for. So then you've got it down to the fact, like, does he see out the year and leave for free at the end of the season? Now, for Harry Kane, that's not the worst idea in the world because it opens up the whole world of football to him and he can pretty much go wherever he wants. The problem for Daniel Levy is that his big thing's Obviously, he doesn't want him to join a right. He doesn't want him to join Chelsea, that's for sure. Well, he absolutely can join Chelsea if he wants to in a year's time for free. Like, Daniel Levy can do nothing about that. Maybe he'd believe that in the meantime, during the course of the season, if things went well, we could talk him into a new contract. I'm sceptical about that. I was sceptical about it the last time, though, when it happened. It did. That's happened already. It's happened already. (laughs) But the third issue, really, is like, are Man United going to not make the Champions League? Because that's seen as the most obvious landing spot for Harry Kane. And if they don't make the top four, if they do bottle this and Liverpool end up nicking that spot, can they sign him? And further than that, even if they could, the, the thing that's been pointed out is to it, me a couple the of join, times... Is the join worth it? Is, is the pain worth it for the... Well, how long will it drag out? I... How long will this drag out? Because I can't see like United saying, right, first week we got the top four, uh, as soon as the window opened... Let's ask Daniel Levy what he wants. If he says like 100 million, we'll give him 95 and it's done. All right, we'll get, we'll get Harry Kane in for the second week in June. That's not going to happen, is it? Daniel Levy will drag this and drag this and drag this. Yeah. Because of course he will. That's, um, what, he does. City. That's what he does. That's what he yeah. does. I mean, even if it doesn't help his own football club and they're scrapping around for an, a new striker, like he's got to do it. The other thing that I find a bit strange is that, you know, I speak to quite a few people around Tottenham that, are well um, versed in what's going on. At no point has anyone really suggested to me a striker that Tottenham are after. So I don't think they're even had a look yet at like who they might get. Like obviously in the past they've they've been linked with people, and you think, oh maybe they'll go for like Vlavic or something like that. Maybe maybe if Vlavic became available. But again, it's all speculation. Right? They do have Brazil's number. They nine have Richarlison, obviously. Squad. Yeah, yeah, the high scoring Richarlison. <laughs> So that they, if their plan is to re- replace Harry Kane, the club's all-time leading goal scorer, one of the greatest Premier League goal threats we've ever seen, with Richarlison, who's got one goal in a year, it's a bit of a gamble. It's a gamble. Yeah, it's a gamble. Um, Richarlison is a good footballer, no doubt about it. Can he replace Harry Kane's goal threat? Mm, dubious about that. Um, so... This is it. Like, where else would he go? Ideally, he wants to stay in the Premier League. He's got this Premier League record up for grabs. Like, Bayern Munich, potentially coming for him. Would they pay that sort of money? Not so sure. Look, PSG, maybe. If Messi is going and it's opening up that sort of money uh, on the wage bill, maybe they could go down the Harry Kane route. But... Tell you what, Mbappe Mbappe keeps talking about how he loves playing off a big man like Giroud. Yeah. The only scepticism I've got around it is that it sounds like PSG genuinely are changing the model and get trying to get away from the superstars and becoming a little more localised. They're linked a lot more to players like Colin Mouani, to Moussa Diaby, to Turam. Like, Marcus Turam, yeah, yeah Marcus who was, who was a PSG a lot, fan growing up. That's a lot, that seems to be a lot to do with it. They've got more of a connection with players and players who are from Paris or even just France 
to to understand and, and build build things up again. Obviously, fans have been pretty hostile recently um, about well things like the Messi situation, and you know it's happened a, f- a few times in the past couple of years where they've they've had a hunt with the superstar players. So yeah, look, there's potential there. I'm not going to rule it out. Um, it could happen, but what do you think, Nad? Where would, would you do your Harry Kane? Where's he go? I think you're right in that if United get Champions League football, then it seems like the obvious landing destination. Um, there's also the kind of added thing of Manchester United are, if not England's most successful club, then England's joint most successful club uh, alongside yeah. Liverpool. And Harry Kane is England England captain, right? That there is a long-standing kind of bit there. You could replace it, Harry Maguire as captain too. Yeah, well, also, they have to have a Harry. Apparently, that's another. Dis- they have to have a Harry in charge. Um, <laughs> it's either Prince Sa- Harry or Harry Sally's, Kane. It's if Sally's there as well, so he can meet her. Um, but if if United are in the Champions League, I, I think that as a landing spot makes the most sense. I, I know it's a little bit kind of the speaking the obvious, but sometimes the obvious is there for a reason, and and I do think that that matches up. I think he'd work well in a. Ted Hag system. I think that he brings everything that you'd want in terms of that relationship with with Marcus Rashford and and trying to develop that for, yeah, I'd like for that both club and like country. Yeah. There, Good for England. A lot, it? There's a lot to like, I think, about it from from a kind of tactical perspective, uh, Harry Kane. But equally, he's an incredibly intelligent player, and I would back him to work his way into pretty much any side in the world. And that's maybe the flip on the PSG thing, in that yes, they want to go less down the superstar route and maybe more into some, you know people that understand it kane strikes me as the kind of person who the fans would take to quite, quite you know quietly efficient not yeah. going to make a massive oh yeah it, it's not a, it's a, yeah. it's a he's superstar a he's, he's a, a low-key superstar, superstar. On, yeah yeah, yeah on, on kind of footballing level but actually in terms of not necessarily lifestyle i'm not suggesting it's that he's celebrity he's not a celebrity it's definitely lower key than what we're looking at right now in, yeah. in the PSG dressing room and, and therefore maybe that changes things but I think you're right in terms of the Premier League goal record I, I think that has to be on his radar and if it's not then mm. something's gone drastically wrong he always come back obviously but but it, it's but, a big I mean, record and mind, you have though. to still get there <laughs> like, yeah and he's you know he's like 60 odd goals off it right or something like that and and so that's you know conceivably a couple seasons, of seasons yeah. work you know, for Harry Kane, that's 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 at, at best two seasons, if not three. Mm. So you need to consider that. And he's going to turn thirty over the course of the summer. He's played a lot of football. I mean, like you know, broken record, but he's played a lot of football. He's got a history of ankle injuries. How long is this window? Like, yes, he can come back, but if he goes and does three years at Bayern or PSG or something, like, will he be remotely capable of scoring the sixty odd goals that he needs if when he's thirty three? Like we don't, we don't really know that. So, you know, for Jack, you talk about Man United there, and it does make a lot of sense. I think Chelsea also just makes sense. Like, and they they, they won't be in the Champions League, but I just don't think that matters because do you not? Harry, do you if, actually if, not think? It I matters? don't think it matters because if Harry Kane is is basically giving up on Spurs because he sees no possible route to glory, I think that's fair enough. Chelsea will find their way to a trophy in the next three years in some capacity and they'll probably get back in the top. Like they're obviously in a massive blip, but Chelsea is, you know, as a team, you can much more 
easily trust to get back in amongst it than Tottenham, who have spent the last 10 years struggling to do so. Yeah, and then, but there's got, the emotional got... caveat of that, isn't there? Right, There's one thing leaving Tottenham for Manchester and kind of moving away to a different part of the country. Yes, obviously a top six rival for Spurs, but definitely not someone as belligerently hated by the fan base as Chelsea. I, I think that if Harry Kane left this summer, and I know Spurs fans would be upset about this, they would be far less vitriolic about the idea of him moving to Manchester United than they would be about Chelsea, and rightly so, because oh, that's sure. a, you know that's a completely different dynamic. And I think Harry Kane's emotionally intelligent enough to realise that there's you know I don't think he'd completely ruin his legacy at Spurs by moving to Manchester United. I think he would by moving to Chelsea. Yeah, um, but Pochettino looks like he's going to do the exact same thing. Um, so it only goes so far. Managerial is slightly different, I think. I mean, I, it isn't, it isn't. Like, Pochettino spent a lot of time talking about how he'd never managed Barcelona because of his Espanol loyalty, and but he's perfectly apparently willing to cross the London divide there and go from 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 Tottenham to Chelsea. But also and, Tottenham, there was an option for, you know, Tottenham that haven't pursued that link, right? If, you know, we've spoke about this and DJ was talking about it the other week, that Daniel Levy has decided that he's not going to pursue that Pochettino link, or at least hasn't pursued it in the way that maybe we thought he was going to. Pochettino's probably like, well, hang on. It's not like you're here going, you're giving me an option and I'm, I'm making another decision. <laughs> you just haven't come to the table. Well, you maybe maybe Daniel Levy listens to the pod and he hears you muttering, never go back, never go back, never go back. I think he's While right. While Dean talks but... about Pochettino. Um, but yeah, look, go to Chelsea. Um, become the focal point of that team, the, the thing that they're crying out for. Go and play with Raheem Sterling and, and foster that connection even further, one that's been so good for England. There's a lot of parallels yeah. here between Man United and Chelsea in terms of what he can actually offer them. And I think we can all agree from Tottenham's perspective, they should sell him, right? For a hundred million this summer, and not rather than let him go next for year. Free. Like surely, uh, that's so. this is what they should do. Can we flip the script slightly? And if you know, w- what is Harry Kane going to cost? And you've just mentioned the fact, Sam, that he is thirty this summer with a history of ongoing ankle injuries. Uh, he's you know he's been okay for what the last two seasons now, or two years. I think his last yeah. real injury was April twenty twenty one. At what point, or at what cost? Does it become a bad idea for Manchester United to to spend that money on Harry Kane? Because if they only have a hundred million to spend this summer, yes, centre forward is the position that probably needs the most work from a United perspective. But if they're going to spend their entire budget on Harry Kane, is that wise? Well, yeah, probably that's not. The, well, I mean, it is the this, the one position that needs fixing the most. I mean, that is that is what you would say. I mean, they need a proper goal threat in that team. If you watched them, um, what was it Brighton game the other day? There was just like nothing there. Like Martial's not up to it. Veghorst, unlikely to be kept on. Like Rashford, better coming out from wide than playing centrally. Mason Greenwood would have been a good option right now. Doesn't seem like that's going to be feasible again in the future. Um, they haven't got it. And like Harry Kane is the most obvious fix for it in terms of like guaranteeing Premier League goals, but also making the same sort of tactical plays that kind of Veghorst makes. Like one one thing that's been better for United since Ronaldo left and Veghorst came in is that Rashford has actually improved because uh, Veghorst's work off the ball opens up yeah. spaces and allows Rashford to flourish in moments better than it was before. Them. Yeah, and Kane also does that. Like he still continues to score a lot of goals. 
But the way that he drops off positionally would probably suit United in this kind of style that they've been building up to as well. So I think that's the other thing to consider. And, you know, United, they don't need to go invest in a goal. Like, I know De Gea is like, you can debate whether he needs replacing, but like, it's not as important as finding a goal scorer. Finding a new right back, not as important as finding a new goal scorer. Okay, like they could probably do. Well, they definitely need another central midfielder. Like that, that also yeah. needs to be fixed. Well, the thing is, I, so I think they definitely need a centre mid. I think they definitely need a goalkeeper. And there's there's a couple of arguments here and there. So to Jack's point, like if you blew all your budget on Harry Kane, does it lift uh, Man United closer to the title? I'd argue ever so slightly, but not within range. Mm. Whereas Chelsea have got so many players that really they just need the one, don't they? I mean, they yes, obviously need, yeah. you can make you can make the arguments elsewhere, and obviously Kante needs mm. help and stuff like that. But like, if they put Kane in this team, it transforms the team. Like, it puts it it, it lifts them several levels. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, they need a manager too. I mean, I know that Poch is linked, <laughs> and uh, there's been a lot of this it should be done, this week. But it's that another one. Yeah, but we've been saying that for three weeks. Wow, yeah, there's good, there's good briefings this week. I'm, I'm more confident this week. Okay, all right, let's move onwards, shall we? Yeah, the fourth one is Declan Rice. Um, oh, speaking of Chelsea. <laughs> this is what's interesting. So today there's been um, an interesting story that's come out. I mean, it's been reported for obviously months now that Declan Rice likely to leave West Ham and that Arsenal will be uh, the team that he most wants and that most want him, et cetera, et cetera. Today, the little flip on this, and it came from Sky Sports, so it's a decent source, was that the valuations around this are £120 million to sign Declan Rice or £100 million plus a player. Now, I find it really interesting that that has suddenly been briefed to somebody. Like they haven't just made this story up. Like this, this has come from somewhere. I think Evening Standard actually ran a very similar story. So that suggests to me that there is some legitimacy around this rumor. It's only come out this morning, so I haven't checked it out properly yet. But I'm like, okay, so what I'm thinking now is, is there somebody that West Ham actually want? Are they thinking there is a player that actually fits what we want and you can have Declan Rice if we also get this player in return? Is it Flo Balogun? club? Well, I mean, this is what I think. This is what we've got to work out. I mean, if you Arsenal are obviously like primed, uh, supposedly to to sign Declan Rice, I don't really see a player that works going the other way. I mean, there's been there's been links with Balogun. Um, I'm not sure that would be the one. Um, I think they were linked with Smith Rowe at one point. I think that Arsenal have still got plans for Smith Rowe. Kieran Tierney, I think, will go somewhere else. So I can't. I can't really see that. So then the other two you're really looking at, Chelsea, City, Man United, and you think, okay, well, Man United, if it was to be them, I don't think it is, Scott McTominay's been linked. Like, are they de- that desperate for Scott McTominay that they say, just make sure we get a player in return and give us 100 million for Declan Rice? <laughs> I guess it makes sense that they would be looking for a central midfielder. Yeah. What about Sambi Laconga? No. Don't think that that's going to be... Not under Moisey. No. Is Moisey staying? At the moment, yeah. So, sorry, just take me on to Man City. Well, they've got Calvin Phillips. What about if it's mm. Calvin Phillips and money? Yeah. That is actually where I'm now thinking, hang on, have they, are they spotting something here? They know that City just been nudged out of that Bellingham discussion. We know that there are there is a fondness of Declan Rice. We know that they're looking to revamp that area of the field. Uh, Teclan Rice models himself on Yaya Torre. We're better to go than go and be the new Yaya Torre. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why that one could add up. And the other one, Chelsea, um, who, who definitely like him, 
I mean, there are obviously Gallagher. loads of players, but you'd look immediately at Gallagher and Loftus Cheek and players like that. Um, Two players that Moyes would probably really like, to be honest yeah, with you, particularly so Loftus Cheek. Yeah, so I think that that's where you're looking. So it, it actually, when I, when I read this story this morning, I actually um, it cheered me up a little bit. They, they had a new angle and I had a new, a new lead <laughs> to pursue. It's like a detective in a case and suddenly someone drops some new information. You're like, oh. This takes me in a different avenue. I can make some different calls apart from the fact I know, I, I, you know, I know a few people that know Declanise very well. His first pick all season, his priority has been to Arsenal. Like, that is true. Arsenal really want Declan Rice, but I don't think Arsenal would pay £120 million for Declan Rice. Not with 12 months left on his contract. So he's under 18 now, isn't he? He's under 18 months left on his contract. I don't think they would even spend... He's, I think he's got a year plus a year's option from the club. So technically, they could. I think they could make it two years. But I don't know for sure. Arsenal just aren't going to spend that, are they? They're not going to spend that. Um, and I'm not sure they've got the players to offer going in the other direction that would get it done. So that is a twist. And I mean, look, for all the season that Declan Rice has been talking about going to Arsenal, they've been top of the league looking like they'd be champions. I'm not sure it alters too much is that they don't win the league because you can still see what the project is and what the rise has been. But um, we know that Chelsea aren't going to be this bad again and I fully expect Chelsea to be back in contention, certainly for top four, maybe even the title next season. Who knows? Um, and Man City and Man City, so they're going to be doing it too. So, yeah. You know what strikes me there is you've sort of gone through like three or four different clubs there and, and tried to pick out you know who might be interested in Rice and, and, and who could go the other way. And all the clubs have mentioned that he could do a great job for. And we're talking about really, really good teams. And it just really brings into the spotlight and hammers home how good Declan Rice is and how good at so many different things he is. Because you're talking about Chelsea, and I think he'd look amazing next to Enzo Fernandes. I really do. I think he'd bring that kind of physicality and that drive and that athleticism to complement Enzo. I think he would massively improve Liverpool and make their midfield a lot better. I think he could do the John Stones role at Man City to a superb level. And I think he'd elevate Arsenal too. And then I could just carry on naming clubs. And there's the, and, and But that's it. Like We're talking about an absolutely amazing player here who we're like, yeah, he could play for Chelsea. And, but he could fit into all of their teams, all of their styles. He could, he could bring something valuable to Pep and Klopp and Arteta and Pochettino all at the same time in different ways. I think that's remarkable. Yeah. yeah, I've just I've got this overarching vision now of the of, of West Ham being like, right, it's going to cost 120 million for Declan Rice and go to Chelsea and be like, or you could pay 140 million and we'll take Ruben Loftus Cheek. <laughs> <laughs> Rude. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. You love him, Jack, don't you? You love him. Oh yeah, some some player, some mm. player. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right, lads, I'm going to round this off just with um, a name that's not quite as. Um, sexy in most people's eyes as this one but a, a rumor that's been you know quite firm in the last few days is it's Alexis McAllister leaving Brighton um and Liverpool this is a world cup winner and you've just said he was less sexy than the other names well get out of here his profile I'm afraid doesn't quite reach the other four but because his name's of, McAllister yeah uh but in a football sense he absolutely is um yeah so Brighton really trying to play this one down in the last 24 hours uh, briefings that there's been no contact and then they're not expecting any contact. Um, don't know how yeah, that's clubs, optimistic. I don't know how yeah. clubs determine whether they're not expecting anyone to, to phone or not. Um, <laughs> but they said the same thing about Cucurella pretty much. Um, I, I remember all that stuff that, that didn't go um, their way in the end. So 
Oh, they outright denied it hours before it was sealed. Hours before it was de- sealed, yeah. <laughs> and there, there comes, there do come times, lads, when you just have to remember that football clubs are just protecting their own brand, they're protecting themselves, and they they're going to put out lies as much as any other any other person in the world might do because it's in their own interest to protect their assets and protect their own situations. Particularly at this time of the season when they're trying to get over the line and getting beaten five one by Everton. So, um, yeah, I think the Liverpool link is interesting. We know that they want midfielders. Um, the two that are also interesting here are the situations with Mason Mount and Ryan Gravenberch. Um, both of those players are seeking clarity over their future at Chelsea and Bayern Munich um, and really don't know at the moment. I mean, Gravenberch really doesn't seem too optimistic over what he's going to hear about their plans for him. Um, Mount, I personally think Chelsea will make Mount a good offer and I think that Pochettino will want to keep him and I, it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up staying. But at the moment, that genuinely isn't the case. And Mount, if you would just look at what we've got in front of us, he looks more likely than not to leave. So Liverpool have to wait on those situations to resolve themselves too. And I think that they're quite hopeful that that happens right on the back of the season so that they get a clear indication because Liverpool will want to go into pre-season with their squad for next year. They can't have you know, a season like this one again, and they'll they'll want to be well settled. But Alexis McAllister, yeah, you don't get too many Liverpool pursuits that are, are played out publicly. But, you know, there's been quite a few people that do cover Liverpool um, closely. Um, your Paul Joyce's and Chris Bascom's of the world that you really rely on. When they they start talking about something, you take it mm. seriously. Uh, James Pierce too, and... But is the link here, Dean, is it because he's Argentinian? Because I feel like there's a pretty strong theme of Argentinian transfer gossip just leaks. Like, yeah, I mean, maybe. Whoever, whoever, whoever is is dealing with these on the football side of things, they just talk and talk and talk. Yeah, it just feels to me like it hasn't been knocked down for them to not write. Like, mm. usually the, the pack around Liverpool would stay pretty stay quiet pretty tight, over stuff yeah. until it was, like, firm. And the fact that there have been a few articles... You know, talking about where he'd fit, how it might work out, suggests to me that there's an optimism around it actually happening. Um, I'll let you explain whether you think Alexis McAllister solves the issues. Well, look, a, a really important part of this that you haven't mentioned, Dean, is the is the the prices that they're talking about because it shapes it shapes how we talk about the deal. Yeah, I mean, look, Brighton, we saw how aggressive they got over Caicedo in the summer. Um, I think they'll be looking at that. They'll they'll pinpoint the eighty million mark. I don't know if they'll get there. You know, I don't think it's going to get there. I don't think it can. Um, but I think Alexis is a really good player. But like, obviously, we're getting. To I mean, I understand why they want to try that. You know, of course they're going to. Yeah. Of course they're going to um, set him out in that bracket. We're just talking about Declan Rice there, and as, as a one hundred million pound footballer. So why yeah. shouldn't Alexis McAllister be talked about in? you know, as being as good a player as Declan Rice and he's being priced just under. So I think it probably settles out lower than 80 million for sure. But yeah, Brighton are a stubborn team. They're stubborn. But there isn't. there does genuinely feel an acceptance from people I speak to that one of the big players is going to go. We talked about this recently. One one of them is going to go. Uh, I think you said you'd let Matoma go, didn't you? If, if you were to, I, to pick I, if one. Was, if it were up to me, I'd, I'd sell Matoma. Yeah. I don't know that there's the same... Um, Scope monetary interest, yeah. yeah. I don't know, there's the which same. makes sense because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, um, so yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I think McAllister would be excellent, although, 
Though I would say that if Liverpool were going to buy a Brighton midfielder, I would suggest that they buy Caicedo rather than McAllister. Not necessarily because yeah. there's much... I don't think there's huge amounts between them in terms of quality. I just think in terms of what they're, what they're offering and the ability of Caicedo to play numerous roles. We've seen him filling in a right back recently, uh, which is something that Liverpool have a, a slight need for their central midfielders mm. to do if Trent's going to go wandering. So it's <laughs> going to be very interesting to see what that is. But... I don't but think Alexis can play playing. a lot of midfield roles too, right? We've seen him yeah, play yeah, yeah. tip of the diamond, base of diamond. Right back. No, of course not. But no, no, you're not buying a 60, 70 million midfielder to think, oh, let's let's give him serious minutes at right back. You'd, you'd hope not. Um, but obviously Alexis has played what, like energetic number eight for Argentina in a 4-3-3. He's played in a 4-4-2 for them as well as one of the eights. He's played base of diamond, tip of, like he's very good. He's yeah. got good a good amount of goals in him. What struck me is that after Liverpool spent so long going for Bellingham and, and, and looking at how their midfield has been like cleaved through all season, I just thought they'd go for someone a bit more physical um, than necessarily than, than Alexis. Um, and that's maybe just me misprofiling, you know, what they wanted to do. But going from Bellingham to McAllister is a bit of a, well, they just feel quite different. Um, so I was a bit confused, a bit confused by that, but I watch McAllister play and I get a little bit of an old school Gundogan vibe at times. Um, like really nice kind of like high volume passer, really creative presence, good work off the ball, can carry it as well, takes a mean penalty. Wow. Um, very, very good. And obviously with a recent World Cup win, yeah, it's not going to come cheap. Um, but he's not the kind of player that I thought Liverpool would be looking at once Bellingham had kind of died off. Mm. Yeah. Uh, maybe they're going to try and actually do what they need to do this this summer, which is sign three different profiles of midfielder uh, maybe. to fill the gap that, that Jude Bellingham might have been able to cover a lot of by himself. So yeah. we will see on that one. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that Alexis going to, to Liverpool would probably be quite good vibes for everybody, um, as long as it's with a couple of other midfielders, um, unless I suppose you're Brighton. But they've almost certainly got someone else in the tank ready to mm. go for, for when this one develops. And with that, I think it's probably time for us to finish this segment and move on to our third and final part. So don't go anywhere. The new Chevy Silverado HD puts you in command. Own strength with its enhanced available Duramax 6.6 liter turbo diesel V8. Own the lake with its available advanced towing technology. And own technology with an available 13.4 inch diagonal touchscreen. The new Chevy Silverado HD. Own work, own play, own life. Learn more at Chevy.com. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for part three. Thank you so much to Dean for that transfer ranking. Uh, I'm going to throw the floor to you once again, though, my friend. Still not finished, am I? Blimey. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is the BBC. And the reason I've had to go for this is because there was no match of the day on Monday night. And people were fuming about it. People were absolutely fuming about it. Like, if you live outside of England, you're not affected by this. And you can pretty much watch as much Premier League football as you want. And it's easy to grab hold of it. But here, unless you have subscriptions, like it, it genuinely does become quite hard, especially um, when the days are like, when it's spread over various days. Like it's, 
a Saturday usually okay. Saturday night you'll get match of the day and you can watch everything from that day and it's it's nicely cut up for what you wanted to see. Um, you know, people do still rely on match of the day because of do. the cost of watching football, even if they just record it and catch up on the bits that they need as and when. But there was three games on Monday and the BBC thought, well, let's have a look at the fixtures. Fulham, Leicester, Brighton, Everton, Forest, Southampton. We could probably skip that. No one's going to care, are they? Well, you've got turns no, none out, of the top six audiences, have you, there? So you're, they sort of go, uh, never mind. More goals in Monday's three matches than combined across Saturday and Sunday. 21 goals and like absolutely ridiculous matches that were like, you couldn't take your eyes off any of them. Like they're three of the most the best matches you could see all season. Just like, not really logical football, but brilliant all the same. Like the Fulham match that me and Jack went to, it was like a charity match, to be honest. It was like neither team had anything to play for, but actually one of them's got everything to play for. Um, so it was just... I, I said this on Fulhamish Live yesterday. It was the most unserious game of football I have ever been to in my entire life. I have seen Sunday league games with more structure than what I watched at Craven Cottage yesterday. It was carnage. Brilliant. Like Leicester... Leicester didn't have a midfield in the first half. So what they did at halftime was took a midfielder off. Mm. I've never, I felt sorry for Bubakos Samare. I was like, my dude, (laughs) you've been asked to do this all by yourself for approximately 20 minutes. I was like, it was impossible. Lads, I didn't get to see it. It wasn't on TV in England. <laughs> wow. I, uh, I watched the, I watched the final the final stages of the championship regular season, which was awesome. Well, it was incredible, um, wasn't it? Absolutely, so there was absolutely that at the same time. So I, Yesterday yeah, so in England okay. was the best day of football ever. I think it was point. okay. There is but my to point. Your point. I literally could not watch Fulham Leicester on my television. Absolutely ridiculous. It wasn't even another game um, going on at the same time. It wasn't like, oh, okay, we can't cover this because it's uh, there's lots of games on. It was on. There was no other Premier League game on at the same time. No, nope. but to be fair, it did have the championship. The championship final day is among my favourite things ever in football. Yeah. So it was honestly great, especially as Tom Kearney scored twice. But yeah, Brighton one, Everton five, Forest four, Southampton three. A day of football that nobody was predicting, but definitely not the BBC, who, yeah, people were not happy with them not showing a match of the day on Monday night. Right, let's go on to shout-out of the week, because we do actually have one this week. Uh, thanks to Jumpman from Washington, D.C. What? The, he says, the man himself? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, he says, look forward to this podcast every Wednesday morning at work. There's great chemistry between the fellas and everything just genuinely flows. I get raises at my job for every review I get, so I feel the pain when you don't get any. Much love, jump there. <laughs> Cheers, I MJ. Mean, yeah, exactly. I appreciate that. I appreciate the empathy there. Mm, yeah, fantastic. Get great your shout outs in, people. Man. Please review us on Apple or wherever else. Yeah, you can get uh, get them in, get them in, and uh, the the chances of the readouts are high these days. High they these are. days, right? That is the gibberish siren, Sam. Over to you. That's a good one. Yeah, it was very strong. Yeah, well done, well done, well done. Okay, we're going to cross sports for this gibberish. I am going to lend my expert hand the way of Formula One, who, Jack, I think badly need my help. Yes. Because they have a problem, and its name is Red Bull. Yeah. Red Bull are way too good. Just way too good. We're five races in, and 
They've more than double the amount of points of any other team. Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez, first and second on the driver's leaderboard. I think they've got all five wins between them. That car that they've produced is too good. And pair it with Max Verstappen and no one can compete. Quite, quite simply, there is a competitiveness issue in F1. So... Big buy-in vibes, isn't it? Big buy-in vibes. Yeah, it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit like that. Yeah, for sure. Maybe this is Red Bull's revenge on Bayern. Um, but I've drawn up three fun new rules ready to be incorporated at a moment's notice by the FIA to stoke the fires of competitiveness on Sundays. So at three, I've ranked this a little bit lower because I'm actually not sure about the legality of this uh, and certainly the morality of it. We put a live hamster in Max Verstappen's jumpsuit for the duration of the race. Uh, I don't know if you have any experience of driving with live animals in the car, Dean, or in your jumpsuit, uh, but I would imagine it's quite distracting. No, just children. I can't drive, so that's good. You no, really need to learn you. that life skill. Right <laughs> but I think, I mean, not done it, suspect it's very difficult. Um, I was going to go ferret, but I think that borders on dangerous. Mm. And I'm I think it might border to... on dangerous even with a hamster, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, but it's, I'm, le- it's less dangerous, isn't it? Because it's probably less prone to attack you. And I'm not trying to create crashes. That's the last thing I want. I just want I just want these guys to be slightly off the ball, make things slightly more difficult for them, cost them a little bit of time, cost them a little bit of concentration. We're looking to increase parity. We're not looking to increase danger. But let's go with hamster, but I'm open to gerbil, uh, anything else like that. Pop it in the jumpsuit. See how he does. I don't know. I do think there's a slight element of like, yeah, we're just asking for a little bit of like, you know, cause a lack of concentration at what? 200 miles an hour. Like, (laughs) oh no, we're not going to cause any more danger. It'll be absolutely fine. Um, I really hope your other rules are better. Let's go. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay, fine. These, I don't think these cross into the morality sector too much. Um, At number two, I propose that we remove all of the straights from all of the tracks because this is where the Red Bull car is just downright better. Like, obviously, it's it's kind of better everywhere. But as soon as they get onto that straight, they just eat them up, don't they? Get, get the DRS after two, two laps, and Max just tears past everybody. No one can compete. So the only way to really deal with this is to just remove all of the straights. Make all tracks just all corners. Because there are a couple of drivers, I think, that are better than Max at the sort of tighter corner tracks. Like, I think Perez is actually better, which doesn't really help me at all, but you know, is what it is. And Leclerc can be better as well. So I'm not really too worried about damaging the spectacle here. Go-karting is basically all corners, and that that's fine, right? That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You went go-karting yeah. this weekend, didn't you? I did, yeah, I did. Um, it was fun. Actually, to be honest, it, there's something to, in that, in that we had our first race with all the lads from, from the Stag Do, and that was great. And then the second race, they put two of these these fellas who came in their own suits and their own helmets in. Did they and, have uh, hamsters in? No, but I think if they did, we might have actually had a better chance of getting around the track <laughs> faster than them. So there is that to consider at this point, I think. These two fellas named Max and Sergio. Yeah, I'm not sure why they were in Liverpool, but it turns out they were. They're <laughs> supposed to be in Miami. Exactly. <laughs> Quick fly anyway, over the top. My number one idea is that one of the Red Bull mechanics in the pit stop must be blindfolded at all times. So, doesn't always have to be the same person, but every time a Red Bull goes in for a tyre change, one of the four guys holding tyres and a drill must have a blindfold on. This will create stoppages. 
and and they must be spun round five times as well, and then they can take their pen away. <laughs> but like, obviously, the name of the game F one is time efficiency. You've got to get those pit stops nailed. You know, two point two, two point five seconds is excellent. Anything over three is pretty poor. I think with one guy not being able to see, we're moving into the four or five second territory here per pit stop. This happened. This, this does create two things. First of all, it will just Red Bull will just lose time, or they'll stop less. So they'll be on degraded tyres, so they'll get worse. Either way, this is the safest way, I think, to effectively cost them time and therefore increase parity. I asked my wife about this and she said that we should throw smoke bombs in the Red Bull garage when they do uh, pit stops. And I thought that would be very dangerous because it would leak onto the track and into everybody else's garage, which would just create... Um, absolute probably red flags yeah, carnage too much chaos, carnage. Too much chaos but, in that one but blindfold one of those guys holding a tire and let's see what happens not with if not if uh esteban Ocon's going to go driving into the pit lane and he's going to be oh. out on the track so uh it's Jeez. all slightly concerning at the moment anyway um but maybe yes, all but... of those guys in the pits up they all had blindfolds on that's why they didn't know a car was coming <laughs> mm, maybe uh, and that caused a huge safety incident i am slightly concerned about all of these ideas i'll be honest uh, but i do appreciate your desire for parity around the circuit sam i think mm. there are a lot of f1 fans also it does feel a bit like a wasted opportunity because like about two years ago everyone was like wow this is a really fun good thing and there's lots of tussles and battles everywhere and now that's just kind of gone <laughs> it's like oh okay max is starting ninth i wonder how he'll get out of this oh right <laughs> like, he won fine no problem he won um exactly it's just one of those things right so with that i think it's probably time for us to call it a day here on ranks and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to our transfer guru mr dean jones cheers mate thank you very much to our rank god mr sam tai cheers buddy I've been Jack Collins, Knave of Hearts. This has been Ranks FC. We'll be back tomorrow after the Champions League games, giving you your full review of both of the first legs of the semi-finals. So keep an eye out for that on your feed. Uh, And then after that, we will see you next week as ever. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please do send Ranks on to any of your friends you think would enjoy this episode or concept of the show in general. really does help us to grow. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Gotta walk the dogs, school drop-off, meetings from 10 to 3, take kids to soccer practice, then... There goes the extra time for a jog. (sighs) That's okay. Maybe next week. When everyone else relies on you, it's easy to put your needs last. Therapy is a dedicated time to focus on what you need to be happy. So you can show up for yourself the way you do for others. BetterHelp offers convenient online therapy on your schedule. It's the same professional service you'd get from an in-person therapist, but with the option to communicate when and how you want, by chat, phone, or video call. Go to their site and fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. 
Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.